This is Briar Klopp, and I'm a sales agronomist for CHS Ag Services in Greenbush, Minnesota. And we're pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network. CHS Ag Services, providing solutions for your success. Good morning, farm news on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Don Wick with Randy Conan in studio. We'll catch up with Tyler Donaldson and Whitney Pittman. Whitney in uh, Salt Lake City for the American Farm Bureau Convention. Warmer weather is on the way today. Highs expected for much of the region in the mid to upper 20s. Fog a possibility in some areas this morning. Winds will be stronger today. Patchy blowing and drifting of snow this afternoon possible for the Devil's Lake Basin. The mercury will climb into the 30s across the region tomorrow. A few areas may even see highs in the low 40s tomorrow and continuing into the balance of the week. Soybean harvest in southern Brazil is being slowed by wet weather. Rio Grande do Sul and Santa Catarina receive some of the most significant rains over the past week, with rainfall totals ranging from 2 to 8 inches. World Weather Incorporated says the planting of second crop corn has also been delayed in some areas. The United States and United Kingdom hit eight Houthi targets yesterday, including a weapons storage facility, missile depots, and radar surveillance sites. A Houthi leader immediately responded saying the U.S. and U.K. should be prepared for an imminent retaliation. The Houthi militant group has been attacking commercial ships on the Red Sea for the past two months. Shippers are now rerouting around the southern tip of Africa, adding significantly to the transit times and freight rates. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack addressing the American Farm Bureau Federation's annual convention in Salt Lake City, Utah yesterday. Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Whitney Pittman has more. The Biden administration is investing in 675 projects across 42 states under the Rural Energy for America program, or REAP. You know, I think we're really focused on three strategies here. One strategy focusing on the climate opportunities, the sustainable opportunities, Uh, that um, we're investing in and that farmers and ranchers and producers are taking advantage of, focusing obviously on uh, building a local and regional food system, but also understanding, appreciating the importance of uh, addressing input costs. And for that reason, we announced continued commitment to renewable energy on the farm and in rural America, Uh, an opportunity for us to expand on the investments that we've already made under the Renewable Energy for America program. Vilsack says this investment will help farmers become more sustainable. There are a number of examples uh, throughout the country of how farmers are significantly reducing the cost of uh, power and electricity uh, in their operations. And I believe it also creates the opportunity for synergy with uh, the work that we're doing under the PACE and New Era programs, which uh, are being funded through the Inflation Reduction Act. These are programs designed to assist the transition from fossil fuel-based generation to more renewable sources, a more uh, balanced portfolio. I think there's an opportunity there for farmers as well to collaborate and to uh, join forces, if you will, uh, to utilize the excess energy that can be produced on the farm or the ranch. Coverage of the American Farm Bureau Annual Convention is brought to you by South Dakota Farm Bureau, NDFB, Minnesota Farm Bureau, and Ag Country Farm Credit Services. Reporting from Salt Lake City, I'm Whitney Pittman on the Red River Farm Network. Delegates to the American Farm Bureau Federation will be hammering out their policy priorities today. South Dakota Farm Bureau Vice President Jeffrey Gatsky is one of those delegates. Well, we're talking about private property rights, and that's always a 
big issue. We're also talking about water rights, and that's huge here in the in Utah, along with South Dakota. And so there's a lot of those issues can be hammered out here in Utah at our delegate session. It'll be interesting conversation coming forward. And DFB Vice President Val Wagner excited to promote policies that represent North Dakota farmers. Just sharing the information that we have, trying to see if we can ensure that policies that are passed are things that are favorable for North Dakota um, and represent the values that we have as well. I've been involved in Farm Bureau for multiple decades now. Seems odd to say that, but it's exciting just to, to take this step and be able to uh, give back to an organization that's given so much for me. And serving as a voting delegate has required some study for Wagner. For me, it was just uh, studying the policy book, the proposed policies, the different changes they'd like to see made to our policies. You know, not everything pertains to North Dakota agriculture, but at the same time, uh, looking through that, reading up on some of that stuff and just getting more familiar with, with uh, where we want to be at on those topics um, and making sure that our, you know, again, our values are brought forward as much as we can. And get the latest news and weather updates anytime by listening to the Red River Farm Network podcast. You can find those at rrfn.com or anywhere you get your podcast. This is the Red River Farm Network. Farm news on the Red River Farm Network. CHS is building a 25,000-ton fertilizer hub in Hallock, Minnesota. The plant is expected to be open in the spring of 2025 and will be located on the same property as the CHS canola plant. CHS Executive Vice President of Ag Retail, Rick Dusick, said this new facility will provide crop nutrients when farmers want it and when they need it. Demand for veterinary services in the state of Minnesota has long outpaced the supply. Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Tyler Donaldson had an opportunity to discuss the issue with University of Minnesota College of Veterinary Medicine Dean Dr. Laura Mulgard. Dr. Mulgard, what is the impact that the veterinarian shortage has on the ag community and on local farmers as well? The impact that it has is it makes it harder for people to hire veterinarians. It makes it harder for for practice owners in certain areas to retire or to sell their practices. And the impact that it has on animal owners is increased wait times or uh, longer drives, harder to find a veterinarian, harder to get access to veterinary care. What are some of the steps that are being taken to tackle this shortage issue? And how do you view the College of Veterinary Medicine's role in that process? We start with recruitment. We reach out to young people to try to get them excited about veterinary medicine. And we do that especially with young people who might not realize that they have a place in the profession. So that includes kids in rural communities who might have heard uh, kind of outdated things about how you have to have a 4.0 or straight A's. That's just not true. We look at all kinds of things when we're recruiting. So we start with recruitment and then we, through our admissions processes, we take a really holistic look at the whole candidate and we look at experience, letters of recommendation, as well as grades. And we have to be pretty selective because there are so many applicants. We have this year over 1,500 applicants for 125 seats. What can you tell us about the recent partnership with SDSU, and are there any other potential solutions to uh, help fight against this shortage? The partnership with SDSU is unique, and that just started a few years ago. They, they spent their first two years at South Dakota State, and then they transferred to the University of Minnesota for their second two years of veterinary school. All veterinary students have done an undergraduate program first, so usually three or four years of undergraduate, and then they come to veterinary school for four years. 
So it's a brand new program, and they will graduate, the first class will graduate in 2025. So that expands our class size by 20 students, and those uh, students are aiming for rural food and mixed animal practice. So that helps with this, uh, address this challenge in really significant ways. There are a number of loan repayment programs that are aimed at addressing the veterinary shortage in rural areas. There is a state veterinary, uh, rural veterinarian loan forgiveness program, and that's really important. Um, we are able to offer loan forgiveness um, for uh, five uh, qualified candidates a year who spend a greater than 50% of their time with food animal species. And then there's also a national, a federal loan forgiveness program. And there is a bill that's been um, in Congress for a number of years, but we're hopeful this year will be its year. And that's really about removing taxation. And that will just allow more of that funding to go towards those qualified. That was the Dean of the University of Minnesota's College of Veterinary Medicine, Dr. Laura Mulgard. For the Red River Farm Network, I'm Tyler Donaldson. International Dairy Foods Association President and CEO Michael Dykes is predicting Congress will not pass a farm bill or immigration reform this year. At the group's annual forum, Dykes said the administration and Congress are too busy fighting and the public doesn't win when that happens. Blue Earth County, Minnesota farm couple won the American Farm Bureau Federation's Young Farmers and Ranchers Achievement Award. Dan and Megan Roberts are the first participants from Minnesota to win this national competition. The Roberts family raises corn, soybeans, and hogs on their farm. Megan is also the director of the agribusiness program at Minnesota State University, Mankato. For the first time, lab-grown beef has been approved for sale. An Israeli company plans to market steaks created by cultivating cells from an Angus cow from California. The proponents claim lab-grown meat removes the environmental impact of conventional meat production. Limitations include high production costs and safety concerns. This is the Red River Farm Network. Looking at 2024 cash flows, Northland Community and Technical College Farm Management Instructor Rhonda Bergstein says farmers remain in decent shape, but those cash flows are variable. It's one of those where I have saw outside of the valley where we are looking at some um, lesser land land costs. Um, you know, the wheat soybean rotations that that we see in the uh, you know northern uh, northern tier just outside of the valley. Uh, again, having to deal with probably 80 to, a, you know, hundred and some dollar, uh, land rent. Uh, <clears throat> and this past year, they seem to have gotten a uh, similar yield yields to what many of the, uh, farms in the, in the Valley, uh, did get. However, yields were extremely variable. And that's always one of those things from year to year that, that, that can vary. Uh, this past year, we really did see a, a major variation, you know, on the same farm where uh, fields one and two miles apart that, you know, one field that got a, got a, you know, a nice rain shower, you know, had almost a record crop and a mile away the mist, the majority of the showers, uh, you know, is probably almost at crop insurance level. The Farm Bureau Discussion Meet is a competitive event that simulates committee meetings for younger farmers. Participants are evaluated on the discussion of predetermined topics. NDFB member Warren Swenson says that learning to work within a group and building basic skills 
help them understand ag issues are just a few of the important lessons that this meet can provide. So we had two rounds of discussion. Uh, our first round was about diversity and uh, the diversity of our local county boards, making sure that all different types of you know producers are, are there in discussion, making sure that it's your grain operators and your cattle producers are all in the discussion for your local county. Um, it was great discussion. We got to got to talk with folks from Maryland, Kansas, and Montana on that issue. And it was it was great to hear their differing opinions. The discussion meet is an opportunity for sharing ideas. It starts at the local level. Our grassroots model here at Farm Bureau is it's amazing. Um, I think it for that for these types of issues it can be it can be really positive effect. Um, and you know eventually these conversations can be at the national level. Checking markets this morning, Minneapolis wheat March unchanged while the May contract is three quarters of a cent higher. Chicago wheat for March five ninety eight. That's one and a half higher. Hard red winter wheat March two and a half higher. The corn market, March 447, one and a quarter higher. July, just a fraction better. March soybeans, 1230 and three quarters, six and a half higher. The May contract, 1240, uh, 1238 and a quarter. That's a gain of five and a quarter cents. Checking the farm calendar, NDSU Crop Insurance Conference today. That'll be starting at 8 o'clock this morning in Fargo. Among their speakers, Daryl Richardson from Endon. Uh, they'll be uh, also featuring... Uh, on that program today, uh, Dr. Jill Outlaw, the uh, Farm Bill Specialist at Texas A&M University. And the Cow-Calf Days with the University of Minnesota kicking off today, starting at 9.30 this morning in Staples, 5.30 this afternoon in Bagley. Tomorrow, Cow-Calf Days in Roseau, Minnesota. Have yourself a great Tuesday. This is the Red River Farm Network.